please be seated. Today's gospel includes familiar words, words that often give hope and assurance, words that especially are used at times of grief or uncertainty. But Jesus' words also work for now, for the day-to-day, for the the nitty-gritty, for any time and any place where trouble threatens. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. He doesn't say this simply to give us a road map to heaven. It's a road map for living. It's a road map for this life. And as such, it's a road map that involves at least three things, I think. It, it involves choice. It involves a place, and it involves what we might simply call a posse. There's a choice involved if we really listen to Jesus' words. Let not your hearts be troubled. Sometimes that can sound so pious and stained glass-like that we can miss the nuance of its meaning. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Suggest that we have some say in the matter. That's good news. We can choose whether to carry troubled hearts around or to have a relatively untroubled heart. This suggests that we are not always the victim when trouble comes. We, we have a part to play We may not have power over the situation or over the thing or the person, but we we can choose how to act, how to react, how to perceive, how to perceive ourselves. We can choose how we let it get to us. We can choose whether to let it trouble our hearts or not. In that first reading from the Acts of the Apostles, we have the the culmination of the story of St. Stephen, the story uh, told in chapters 6 and 7 of the Acts to the Apostles. Stephen is chosen as the first deacon. Uh, The early church needed someone to coordinate the distribution of food and to to organize the care of widows. And so they decided that there there should be a certain office, a certain person set aside, um, ordained, the church would later come to understand it, um, set aside and chosen to be um, chief among the servant leaders to remind us what service looks like. And so they use this word, diakonos, deacon or servant, for Stephen. Stephen is the first. Phoebe is another early church deacon. Phoebe in our window up there, the fourth bay on your left in the middle. Um, It's one reason we as Episcopalians and Anglicans love to champion Phoebe, because the the Greek text uses that word diakonos. She was understood as a deacon. And so we love to just point that out to our Roman Catholic sisters and brothers when they begin to wonder about whether women should be or could be or ought to be ordained. They usually change the subject. (laughs) Phoebe was a deacon. Stephen was the first famous deacon. 
And we heard why in today's scriptures. The religious authorities in Stephen's day, not much after the religious authorities felt threatened by Jesus, but they feel threatened by Stephen. He's too good at what he does. He is the servant extraordinaire, and they wonder what role they have. And so they accuse Stephen of blasphemy, and there's a a mock trial. Stephen has a choice, it seems. He doesn't have a choice on the outcome of the matter. Of course not. But he has a choice on what he does with his heart, what he does with his mind, what what he does with Stephen. And so he points himself toward God. He he empties himself of everything that's not God. And he, he welcomes God to come into him as fully and as alive as possible. Stephen lets go of his will, his his own resourcefulness, his connections. Um, He lets God take over. And there in the middle of his trial, Stephen receives a vision. It's a vision of heaven opening up and God offering welcome and power and love. And this is just too much for the mob rule surrounding him. And Stephen is stoned to death, becoming the church's very first martyr. Most of us are unlikely to be put exactly in Stephen's situation. Um, But sometimes we get into binds that feel just as tight to us, just as hopeless. We might feel just as potentially helpless. We have choices to make. Are we the victim to end all victims? Or do we have some agency? Can we welcome God into our midst? Can we, we change the way we see things and understand things? Can we, can we come up with a prayer that puts us in the presence of God, that brings the presence and the power of Christ into our midst? We have choices to make. That's a part of what it means to follow in the way of Christ, to make choices that continually keep us on and in his way. Jesus speaks of a place for us. He talks about a dwelling place, or if you know the old King James Version, a mansion in the midst of God's heavenly kingdom. But Jesus, of course, is not talking about a physical place. He's he's talking about a person. He's talking about himself. It is a place, but it's not just physical. It's not geographic. It's it's psychological. It's, It's intellectual. It's spiritual. It's that place that answers our longing for a place where our hearts and souls and minds are free to grow and develop in God as God intends, unrestricted by custom or expectation or background or any other thing. Jesus says, in my Father's house there are many dwelling places, and he's not talking about a a mansion or, or a village or the perfect retirement spot. He's talking about a spiritual space that holds within it unique qualities of being both expansive and of being safe. Jesus goes before us to prepare such a place, such a way. And if we follow him, then he leads us exactly where we need to go. When trouble comes, uh, there's a choice involved as to how we can respond. There's a place up ahead where Jesus leads us. 
But equally, and perhaps even more important, we've got people. There's a posse for us. We might think of a posse as being some odd word left over from a Western, where the posse is rounded up to go and fetch the bad guys. In fact, the Urban Dictionary defines posse as your crew, your homies, a group of friends, people who usually have your back. In medieval Latin, the the posse comitatus literally meant the power of the county. And so that's how that Western idea of a posse came, because the county would, would delegate that power to a handful who would go off and do good things, hopefully in the name of the county. But those early apostles, those who were called to follow the way of Jesus, they understood the heart of that, of this calling, this gathering of people who had each other's backs, who shared what they had and looked out for each other. They were given authority by the Holy Spirit, not just the county. And every time the disciples asked Jesus, where are you going again? How might we get there? How do we follow you? Each time Jesus answers with relationship. Jesus says, in effect, you have seen me and known me. You have known God the Father. Believe in what we are. Believe in who we are. You have all you need. You have one another. Thomas asks more questions. We heard that the Sunday after Easter. Philip asks more questions. We hear that today. Later, others ask questions. We ask questions if we're alive, if we're inquisitive, if we're faithful at all. We ask questions, and and we live those questions out loud. But slowly and surely, through the mysteries of the crucifixion and the resurrection, we, like those other disciples, begin to understand what Jesus means. We have each other to help us see ahead. We have each other to have our backs. And then when we get really tired and worn out and out of answers, the Holy Spirit steps in and reminds us yet again in a new way, we're covered We're good to go. We're protected. We're strengthened. We're enlivened for the mission of God in our world, wherever that carries us. On this day that is celebrated as Mother's Day in our country, I think of someone in particular who, who especially for me and for many in our church, uh, personified what Jesus talks about in terms of following the way, the truth, and the light. And and she personifies it in a complicated world. If you follow the the church calendar of the Episcopal Church, then you know that yesterday was the day to commemorate a remarkable woman, a woman named Frances Perkins. Frances Perkins was a devout Episcopalian. She was a New Yorker. She was educated at Mount Holyoke and Columbia And she tried to take part in civic affairs and kept an eye on on workers and workers' rights. But it was especially in 1911, the the tragedy of the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire, where 145 workers died, that Frances Perkins felt an even newer calling. She was compelled to advocate for workers. 
She caught the attention of the governor of New York. She caught the attention of newly elected President Franklin Roosevelt. And Roosevelt invited her to come to Washington and asked her to think about being the Secretary of Labor. The story goes that Frances Perkins scribbled on a napkin a list of things she might like to accomplish. And she took that list in that initial meeting with Roosevelt. She read her list to him and he said, wow, we're going to be busy if you nag me about each one of those things. And she says, Mr. President, if you select me, we are going to be busy. Frances Perkins came to Washington. She became Secretary of Labor, the first woman to hold a cabinet position. She remained a loyal Episcopalian, and she attended St. James Church on Capitol Hill. She went most days of the week to morning prayer, and often the stories go that she would stay after and have breakfast and coffee with the rector, Father Plank, and she would run ideas by him, and they would think about it and pray about it together, ideas like a minimum wage for workers, ideas like an age limit to protect child workers, ideas like a safety net for retirement, which would become Social Security. On and on, Frances Perkins had ideas that came out of reality, and she, she filtered it through prayer and through worship, through conversation, and all these things became realities that changed many, many lives. A little like following Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Frances Perkins had a place, she had a literal place, the St. James on Capitol Hill, a place that was a place of refuge and welcome and beauty and prayer. She had a posse, she had a priest and people she could rely on. She had all these things. She made choices, difficult choices. Frances Perkins was married. She had a daughter. Both her husband and daughter today would probably be diagnosed with manic depression. And so early on, she had those choices. Should she stay at home with them? Should she stay in New York? Should she go to Washington? But she was the sole provider for her family. And so she made difficult choices again. Trouble, difficulty, challenge all came her way. They all come our way. As we all know, that's a part of life. It's a a part of life even and perhaps especially when we have faith. But we always and everywhere have some sort of choice in how to respond. We have places that provide the presence of Christ. And we've got a posse here and elsewhere, people to cover us in prayer and love and encouragement. In his Christmas oratorio, W.H. Auden paraphrases today's gospel in in such a beautiful way that, that invites us all to continue in the way forward. Auden writes, He is the way. Follow him through the land of unlikeness. You will see rare beasts and have unique adventures. He is the truth. Seek him in the kingdom of anxiety. You will come to a great city that has expected your return for years. He is the life. Love him in the world of the flesh, and at your marriage all its occasions shall dance for joy. May we follow the risen Christ wherever he leads us, In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.